Hello, and this is another episode of the Bad Dog Book Club. I'm Skip Ruddertail. And I'm a Tinsus, the cat who could take public transportation and live out driving. And this is episode 4B of the book club, where we discuss White Yodi's story one week. Now, is it a, is White Yodi, White Yote? See, white I, 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 I usually call boring? him White Yote, but he does have that little accent mark over the E, so yeah. I assume he's emphasizing the... Some people say coyote, some people say coyote. Yeah, even if that might be like the correct way to do it, why not put a, throw a little difference in there? You know? Yeah, yeah. So what would you suggest? Like white yote sounds just like much more crisp, much more clean. I like that. It's like white yote. It's just two, two quick ac- like accented syllables. I like it. Because if you do it yote, do you have to be like whitey yote? And is that offensive? Hey, oh, it's like A-Y, it take it's like A-Y at man. Right, right. A-Y at yote. There you go. All it's right. not a very flattering introduction, though. So, uh... <laughs> I really like this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little bit of a downer, but you know, next week we'll have a little more to pick me up. But uh, did you like it? Oh, I loved it from a writing standpoint. The imagery was just wonderful. That's okay. the thing that always sets me off too. All right, all just right. Just a nice, vivid imagery. Uh, is there anywhere you'd like to start? Well, yeah. you picked you picked this story. Uh, would mm-hmm. you like to let let us know uh, for the, for the listeners out there just kind of how we came to uh, choose this story for the podcast? How it came mm-hmm. to us? Like where you found it? Well, actually, I, I I hadn't read this story before we had. Picked mm-hmm. it for the selection. You assured me it was wonderful, and I was not disappointed. Oh, well, good. There you go. Um, I White Yodi is yeah one of my favorite uh, furry short story writers. Um, I really have loved his stuff for years, uh, whatever it is. And so I went to him, actually, and said, you know, hey, we're starting this thing up. Can you give me a story? And he sent me three, actually. Um this wasn't even my favorite. Oh, it wasn't? Which no. one was your favorite? Uh, my favorite was a story called AI. Um, AI? Which I think we'll be getting to probably in, you know, six months or so. But it was, it dealt with, are you ready for this? Yeah. It dealt with a holographic fur. Oh, dear. Another one? Yes. Yeah, so, okay, we had so to put this So, it, it would have been another created okay. for so we i was like man i love this we, we have to we've done too many have to give it a break so um we'll, we'll do that ourselves. in in a, in a few months so stay tuned but this this is i really like too um and i liked it because for a couple reasons uh, a lot of as we know a lot of free fiction is done in kind of a fantasy or a futuristic setting. Yeah. And this is done in a contemporary setting, mm-hmm. um, which you don't always see. And it's done in a contemporary setting that I think is aware of contemporary realities. Yes. And, you know, it's always interesting, I think, when you... Why do you, in that case, choose furs instead of people? And that's one of the things I'd like to talk about today. Like, if you're telling this story, why are you telling it with furs? I see. Uh-huh. And it, people, I do think, tend toward the fantasy when it comes to furry literature because it just, you know, befits the the expectation of, you know, these anthropomorphic characters that obviously don't exist in real life. Uh, so it actually becomes a little bit more difficult to uh, adapt them to a contemporary kind of real-world setting because you end up having to take these uh, explicitly non-human traits mm-hmm. and express them in absolute human terms. And mm-hmm. this this is kind of translation, the process of translation between these two worlds, uh, making them real, or at least trying to make them more real, is interesting sometimes in what it might highlight mm-hmm. about just the way things are viewed. Yeah. 
That's what I liked about the story because it does. We we did swear off the uh, artificial for a thing, but this does kind of continue the theme of you know some political kind of statement within the the pulp itself, or maybe we're just reading that into it because we're pretentious. Yeah, so, there's always that as well. Yeah. Um, no, I and then and you know that's something I think you know we'll probably revisit uh, throughout this this series, if you will, or this show, if you will, kind of you know why furs in this case or not um and we've touched on it a little bit already i think a couple times you know talking about that a lot of one of the strengths of sci-fi is that you can you can uh discuss current issues from a distance in a way so if things are particularly emotive you know issues of religion or you know freedom or class they're a little bit easier to discuss from this sort of created distance and even a contemporary furry story, because they're animal people, you can tell a contemporary story with this bit of distance, I think, put in there. Yes. Um, that also, degree of removal that's just necessary sometimes. Right. And also, I mean, and I think it's quite fair, and I think you'd agree with this, get, knowing you, we'll see. Um, I think it's also okay to say, I like writing about furries, too. And sometimes that's a good enough reason. Yeah, I mean... Why not? Especially if you're trying to express certain uh, emotions or ideas that might be aided by this certain uh, tool, if you want to think of it that way, of having the furry characters that you can manipulate in certain ways that you couldn't manipulate, like a, a, a personal character. Mm-hmm. That's generally what I... When, when people ask me what, what furries are, I tell them, that in my view, it's kind of like a shared language mm-hmm. that uh, is just kind of manipulated for different ends. So mm-hmm. we see... Uh, an otter person, and maybe depending on what different views you might buy into, that otter person represents some kind of personality trait or ideal that you might aspire to within uh, your your sexual desires. That is kind of represented visually here. So you you can't quite you, maybe you like a person who's athletic, a person who is like active, always wants to be like the 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 star of the team, and you, you just attract that kind of personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might not be able to you might not be able to get that through uh, in, in just the representation of a, a person who, uh, it's just kind of more, more generic, but if you attach these traits to, uh, a, an otter, or mm-hmm. something like that, who just by, by way of their species would endear to this kind of profession, would excel in this kind of field, and would just be so appealing to you, it, uh, kind of opens up these possibilities for getting these ideas across. That's mm-hmm. kind of what's interesting about writing in fairy terms sometimes, and why mm-hmm. I usually write pulp. Right. Because it's, Good on for branching out on these ideas of sexuality. Mm-hmm. So, so we've got a few, I think, or several kind of real world issues, major issues that are uh, touched on in this story to varying degrees. And maybe we maybe kind of get into our meat of our discussion here, haha, um, <laughs> by by touching on one of these. And of course, one of the ones that jumps out is uh, issues of race. In racism, I think, in this yeah. story. And well, we did get a comment. Should we read the comment? Okay, this was a comment on by Kawayama. It said, One line that colored the rest of the story for me was, Years and years of evolution still can't breed away the temptation to honor a superior race, though that concept was abolished hundreds of years ago. Okay. Obviously, this isn't the same world you and I are living in, as there are furries instead of people, but that line just sounds wrong. If it was black homeless guy and a white businessman, yeah. Also, considering the wolves and tigers in our world, the concept of superior race feels absurd. 
and you have to wonder if the author just wants to depict canons as superior to further his own agenda. All right. Well... Oh, okay, I, I, what, I like most mm-hmm. of it. I just don't get the agenda part. That's it. Yeah, I I guess... I think Kamayama, was it? Uh, Kamayama, yes. hitting on... You know, he's right. I mean, in he's interpreting the story correctly, I believe. Right. I think he's right to bring up, you know, that the, this kind of racism is a feature in the story. Um, I think, with all due respect, Kamayama, I, I think that you're confusing race in the text with racism on the part of the author. And that to bring up racism in a story doesn't mean the author is being racist. It just means they want to talk about the issue. I don't the I mean I don't, I don't think I don't know if it has to be interpreted as a slight against the author though. It might just be a subject within the text that makes a person uncomfortable. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be interpreted it, as an attack. And that's right. one of the problems that one of the uh, problems you have sometimes with addressing race and issues like this mm-hmm. is that it can't be brought up with anybody kind of feeling as if they're being mm-hmm. uh judged. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the difficulties that you sometimes have to get over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem there is that oftentimes is ex- as exacerbated by inarticulate language mm-hmm. on parts of people who have legitimate grievances, I think. So this is, I, I believe, like a legitimate uh, interpretation of the story that there is this uh, exploitative mm-hmm. and uh, obviously not mutually beneficial right. relationship, though there's this belief there. Uh, that, the, that is uncomfortable, but that's kind of what it's supposed to be a cathartic yeah, expression. I think in this a way. is what the story is about, though, or one of the things the story is about. So I'm not sure why Kamayama has a problem with it, other than the situation is upsetting to him. And that's, I mean, I, I think one is supposed to be upset by it. Yes. I don't think it's supposed to sit well with you. And your analogy of if this was, you know, a white man and a black man, it wouldn't be cool. Well, it's not cool. I don't think it's supposed to be. It would still be cool. an interesting story. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to bother you, um, and so I think that that's a, an indicator um, that White Yodi is is accomplishing. You know, part of what he set out to do here. Um, well, I think if I may be so bold as to ascribe what he intended to do, <laughs> right? And and uh, ascribe some intentional fallacy. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. Um, the one part I, I think of your comment that I, I just seemed weird to me is uh, the whole r- racist towards tigers thing. Because <laughs> I think here we're, we're, we're dealing with, and we, that's why I brought it up, is we're dealing with, you know, furry is a way of kind of discussing these topics with a little bit of a distance. Um, so hopefully you can, you know, broach these difficult subjects a little more easily. And obviously it doesn't always work that way. But... These are fictional species, and I don't know if White Yodi would care enough about fictional tiger people to be racist <laughs> towards them. Let's put it that way. Um, I don't think he has an anti or pro tiger agenda because the situation yeah. is, because the story is written in a way that problematizes the relationship. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly not writing this as, this is good, this is ideal, this is the way it should be. If it had been written that way, I think maybe you have a little bit more of a, of a valid you know, point to bring up. There's something really wrong about this. But it isn't written that. It's written so that 
we're aware there's something really wrong about yeah. this. I think, like I said, th- what makes it difficult to ex- talk about these issues sometimes is the feeling that there's a an attack present right. in the statement. Yep. But in this statement, there really is kind of a, an, an accusation here. Mm-hmm. But as a person who slips up and makes like, you know, some pretty inflammatory remarks sometimes, mm-hmm. I-, I try to be defensive of, of, of at least the heart of the yeah. statements, even if I think people are a bit maybe in- ungracious in making them. And I-, I think he's got a point here. Oh, I Although agree. you do have to admit that uh, I think a person would be right to be uncomfortable by this, as mm-hmm. you said, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that for everybody that needs to be a part of the enjoyment right. of it. Right. It can be a cathartic expression for somebody who has uh, issues with this that mm-hmm. are hard to otherwise express, but other people might not have any difficulty expressing these issues, might not have any uh, even interest exploring them. And so it's more just of a frustration even to bridge the subject and right. what they might themselves think in an articulate way. And I wanted to say also, aside from, I love the, the imagery in the story. Mm-hmm. It was uh, incredibly vivid. It was excited every nerve, but there were some inarticulate uh, examples of wording such as I disliked when he was introducing the, uh, the doorman who mm-hmm. was described as an African American zebra. Uh-huh. And it's like, yeah. Okay, if you're buying into the concept that species ties into uh, race because they're you know geographically located, which is one of the you know determination determinators of what uh, eventually becomes constructed as race, mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't African and American both be you know uh, redundant? Because mm-hmm. clearly he would be African because he's a zebra. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not getting my geography wrong here. Right, you're right. right. No, you're you're right. Okay, great. <laughs> I don't get everything wrong. Great, awesome. And also, isn't it? It would be implicit in the story that he's American because the story takes place, presumably, in America. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so it's kind of like just using that word when it is well. I he, think he, from a writer's standpoint, not necessary. It 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 does excite these emotions because mm-hmm. it's not as I believe well. It's a little less invented. subtle, I think, than the rest of the story. The the kind of roles and origins of the other characters in the story, mm-hmm. even though it's kind of an American setting, you know, we have to kind of infer the, you know, kind of race relationship or whatever of the wolf and the tiger and cats and things. And this one is, because it's explicitly stated as African-American zebra, it's a little, it, it's more directly stated and it stands out because of that. Mm-hmm. When the other race relationships are more, relying upon the reader to kind of infer and create these relationships. Um, so I think that that is a little bit incongruous, maybe. It's bluntness is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's bluntness for sake of getting the point across. Yeah. Which, it serves a purpose, but it comes at a cost. Probably probably wasn't needed in that situation, well, I'd say. Y- you can argue otherwise. I, I would mm-hmm. argue sometimes, whenever I'm writing pulp, and if you want to just take this as a pulp piece in and of itself, mm-hmm. I, I, I do kind of recognize that people are not in the mood where they're going to be interpreting things mm-hmm. on the kind of level they would be if they were, you know, relaxing in a, in, in yeah, like yeah. a chair and like trying to dig into a hardcore piece of literature, mm-hmm. uh, they're kind of jerking off. Yep, yep. <laughs> and you, you need to, you know, help them along a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of the unfortunate, uh, it's like seeing a beautiful building with like a really unfortunate handicap access ramp. Like, oh, it's <laughs> so necessary. It's so necessary. You kind of need it, but oh. The marble stairway just looks so much better. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's kind of how it, fe- how it feels sometimes. <laughs> but wow, hey, no, great ADA. I'm okay. so, I'd love to be ADA compliant. Gotta okay. be. All right. Um, 
one of the things that stood out to me, you know, as, as an editor, and I think one of the things that a lot of writers are often told is, you know, you've got to make your characters real and all these things and, you know, believable. And yet, and I think we, all that's done here, but if you noticed, uh, there are no names in this story at oh, yes. all. No proper names. Our, to, our protagonist doesn't have one. The wolf doesn't have one. None of the the three other characters that we see in the story don't have names either. Don't believe so, no. And so, I mean, what do you make of that as a writer? Or... Well, one of the themes addressed in the story is the sense of um, namelessness or, or, mm-hmm. or identitylessness. Or, like like he says, he, he knows that the, uh, the maid gossips about him, mm-hmm. but you know, what does he have to lose? There's right. no sense of reputation here, which you know mm-hmm. a lot of people would associate with identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, uh, having no names absolutely reinforces this concept. I mean, if, if he's known as Greg or something like that, all of us already you know him as Greg, which you might be able to be able to put in a larger context just from like knowing what his parents named him, mm-hmm. or at least what he goes by. On well, and, and no, maybe he's, on he's a just deeper as... level, that would be something that he actually was his. Even if you wanted to go really metaphorical, because this guy really doesn't have anything. No, and, he's a box. and that would be that would be something that would be his, and and so maybe it's you know, and I think it's kind of how he sees himself too, um, and and how he is treated and yeah. seen that he doesn't have a name. Now the wolf not having a name is maybe a little less predictable if you're following that same kind of logic because here's a guy who has everything. You have to think probably the guy does know his name. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think he doesn't use it out of respect. Okay. Because the idea. Ah, he doesn't deserve to use the name. Or, well, clearly clearly the, the fellow is concerned about uh, being In found, being yeah. caught out, mm-hmm. being caught uh so I think he would probably. Why would he, out of respect, out of his own uh, sense of mm-hmm. preservation for this uh, relationship, he wouldn't want to uh, mm-hmm. mention the name? I think that's, that's the idea that's getting across, which is intriguing. Mm-hmm. But it does also kind of play into this pay on to uh, trickle down economics that I think is implicit <laughs> in the story. Yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah, please okay, no. Go on. no, no, I just want gotta... that one suit a week. That's all I want is that one suit a week. Well, let me. You gotta, you gotta explain your little uh, metaphor here, which I love. Well, I mean, like that's the idea is that you know if we if we give more money to the rich and let them have all the capital, let them create the wealth for mm-hmm. us, that it'll create so much more wealth that so much more of it will will, will come down to us eventually. That mm-hmm. uh, you know, generally the the standards of living rise, mm-hmm. and uh, that's kind of I represented I think here in a very explicit terms because mm-hmm. that's exactly what ha- was happening is this guy, uh, this uh, tiger, tiger, Jesus. This tiger is surviving, he more or less states in explicit terms, surviving solely on what is for this higher class gentleman a weekly indulgence, just Mm -hmm. a trivial toss away, which actually kind of speaks to me as a worker in the restaurant industry, Mm -hmm. uh, where more or less what I take home in cash is just what someone pays on a percentage of what was just a nice lunch for them. Yeah. And I had, and, 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 you know, working for like, you know, 12 hours as I did yesterday, coming up with my feet work hurting and all in all just for the labor of some people having a decent meal. Right. It, when I read something like this, it's very easy to identify with it then. And just, uh, 
or at least to pick out these uh, these exchanges of a, a friend of mine. He was joking that he was going to start getting new personas that mm-hmm. weren't actual animals but vague concepts, <laughs> such as his friend was his new persona was the laughter of Mexican schoolchildren. That was his wow. new persona. And uh, my persona was, um, this is my official persona, actually. So not a are they, cat. like, anatomically correct? I don't know. What, they're just, if, if fairies... I forget I went there. Forget I went there. I don't, I, I, I don't think you can be anatomically correct if you're an idea. That's the point. Yeah. How do you even illustrate well, that? Well, furry will find a way. But my, my, my new persona was the exchange of sexual, uh, the exchange of sexual access for economic security. Uh-huh. And that's what we've got here. This is this is my we persona. We could definitely RP written. that. Oh yeah, it's very well, I, It's a that's a situation right in of, in and of itself. No, and and it literally, and and you know, to, to carry your metaphor further, I mean, we literally see yes, you know, it trickles down to him and it is gone. I mean, it does nothing. Yeah. In the long run. By for the end of the him. next week, it's tattered. It's thrown yeah. in the incinerator, literally. So there you go, White Yodi. Uh, in case you didn't intend to, your your story is a perfect metaphor for Reagan's trickle down economics. Yeah. Well, you know, when I work at this restaurant and I'm hosting... See, you guys don't know what you get into when you write these porn stories. That's all all we're saying. I'm not even joking. There is a portrait of Reagan that hangs directly where I have to stand all day when I'm hosting and he stares at me all day. Uh So I think about these things (laughs) while I'm standing there under Reagan's dead glare. Oh my God, it's awful. One thing I thought was uh, one of these interesting uh, metaphors and interesting things brought up again and again in the story was kind of the idea of cleanliness Mm -hmm. uh, and how that ran throughout the story. The the tiger is filthy, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's basically as soon as we see him, we're told that, that he's grungy and filthy and he gets Mm -hmm. taken and held even though he's filthy and he gets taken in and the first thing, you know, that happens to him as the wolf washes him. Yeah, so this is the, in one the of the shower. major scenes in the story. Is, exactly. Is washing you know, washes him and cleans him off. And then, you know, so he's clean and he can be in this space. Also touches on perhaps um, my favorite line in the story, which is... While he's, like, reclining in his extremely expensive robe... Like cashmere robe, I don't know, even like silk or something. At the end of the hall, it opens up on the main living area, which is huge and tall. I remember crying the first time I saw it, partly because I was blown away, and partly because I was afraid of dirtying up the ultra clean surfaces. I don't worry about that anymore. He's cleaning ladies for that. (laughs) This, like this couple of lines. Um, I I found devastating. I mean, I wanted to cry at that point. It was so heartbreaking to me. Um, because, you know, there it, it's literally, we're talking about cleanliness, but of course it's it's how he fe- how the tiger feels about himself, too. You and his place the in the guy. world. And, and he's so, you know, his, he values himself so little that, you know, his concern is, what will my presence do to the surroundings? Mm-hmm. You know, that my presence in this space is in and of itself polluting. Yep. And it was heartbreaking uh, for me, um, for anybody to feel like that about themselves. And, mm-hmm. and it was hard for me to get through that. Um, 
but you know there there's the cleanliness again so he gets he gets cleaned so he can be in this space the space is cleaned after he is there to remove his pollution mm-hmm. his clothes get uh, by burned. the cleaning ladies part. his clothes get burned yes That's my favorite part they have sex when he's clean mm-hmm. but then he needs to get cleaned again because mm-hmm. now he's sticky and wolf cummy yeah and tiger cummy and no actually nope it's tiger cum the wolf comes inside him, so he has to get cleaned of what he himself leaves. You know, he right. has to get cleaned of his uh-huh. of his own pollution on his body, mm-hmm. um, and then he's sent out clean into the streets, mm-hmm. where he will pollute everything again. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a the cycle of winning scratch off lottery tickets. Like, oh yeah, I won ten dollars. Who cares if I spend a hundred bucks? <laughs> this guy just gets just once a week, and like it's all he needs is because and it's and he's cleaned up, mm-hmm. and he feels he kind of he feels must feel kind of deluded, really. Mm-hmm. He must feel kind of um, and must at least a little bit taken advantage of is how I mm-hmm. must feel. Mm-hmm. But he keeps going on with it. Like what 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 I was always wondering about in the story was mm-hmm. if he is seems so convinced that this guy really truly loves him. Mm-hmm. Why does he make him uh, sleep in the shadow of the building in which he sleeps? Yeah. Which is one of my favorite lines in the story. Yeah, man, that's 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 the horrible thing I think about this story. You know, is that we're told, oh, you know, I, I, I know he'd love to, you know, keep me here, mm-hmm. but he doesn't, and we don't know. I think as a reader whether the wolf would really love to keep him there or whether that's the tig- just the tiger's perception of it, or the tiger's wanting of it. The, the tiger interprets it as a as a charitable act. Yeah, and and it's this you know tantalizing thing where I think, as you said, it costs the wolf nothing. What well, does not cost the wolf nothing? This. Actually, that's the thing. Is let's try to put this in very real economic okay. terms. Right. If you just try to think about what a nice suit, like let's say this is mm-hmm. the suit he wants to wear to work, mm-hmm. and it's obviously high paying job. Mm-hmm. He'll, he's one of, he wants to wear a nice suit to work. He's not going to skimp on his suit. Mm-hmm. How much do you think you just spend on this suit? Yeah, several thousand. Several thousand. Okay, mm-hmm. so if you're just writing in just that cost alone into what is for him a sexual encounter, mm-hmm. that's all, that would already put this homeless person in the range of a, a high-priced prostitute, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then you add in the, uh, the cost of the food. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to just even consider uh, lodging... I'm talking about percentage-wise, you know, like, what is this to this wolf? And 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 that kind of goes back to the point I think you were making about working in a restaurant, you know, is that, you know, yes, it's a paycheck to you, but to the people eating at the restaurant. Yeah, and that's what I'm wondering here. And we've talked about this in the last story that, you know, I said one of the, you know, hallmarks, I think, of a relationship is that you you take care of each other, you know, Mm -hmm. and and here... um, the relationship is so unbalanced yes. that that can't happen. And what's unfortunate is is that the system that you presume this this person is mm-hmm. making his fortune on, that you mm-hmm. also presume is at least somewhat responsible for uh, this person mm-hmm. being homeless. Yeah, and uh, maybe it's, it's a little it, bit it, of it, guilt. It is specifically what has caused this person to feel so worthless mm-hmm. that being considered even a trifle is, is such a, 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 a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. even being just so uh, minor an indulgence to another person is uh, enough to survive on. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful elevation in status. 
it's well, and that's you know that's why one of the reasons you know it keeps coming back. You know, as I said, it's it's you know at the same time, you know, does he feel you know does he worry that he's you know selling himself or compromising? And it's like yeah, but he gets fed, you know, mm-hmm. and he gets clothes. And and when you are in that situation, you know, the most important thing is staying alive, you, you and this helps him stay alive. You don't judge his actions. I mean, but. We are given explicit access to his thoughts. Yes. And his thoughts are explicitly reverent. Yes. Absolutely. And he makes, he even represents it as being necessary. Uh, when he thanks uh, the the wolf at the dinner table at the end of the meeting, he says something along the lines of, sincerity is all it takes. Mm-hmm. He thanks himself with his, with his eyes and not with his words. Uh, so I, it's kind of represented explicitly as the impression that he, he couldn't even fake this if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. He has to buy into the system to be able to to to, to indulge in this, right? Uh, to even survive, essentially, at least uh, as it's represented. Well, I think there's there's a line here that kind of speaks to this point where he says, uh, "I get a good meal, a shower, in the physical attention so many more fortunate others receive." And I always enjoy myself. I'm just starting to accept it graciously, but I'll never take it for granted. The last time I did that, I ended up homeless and alone. Kind of hints at this, you know, kind of says this is why he's so sincere. Mm-hmm. Kind of hints toward, to toward why he's in the situation. Something as well. that happened in the past. Well, yes. that's a good question too, because that and that was something you know I wondered about. You know what? What's wrong with him? Almost in a way, because as you know. Um, I wonder what so many of the is. homeless people in the U.S. are, you know, have various mental um, problems that they aren't, they never got treatment for, uh, because you know, as we know, neoliberalism, social services have been cut back, and all mm-hmm. these things, yeah. and so that's very common among the homeless. They either have, you know, post-traumatic stress from the war, or they've got various mental issues, or schizophrenia, or medication problems, and mm-hmm. you know what what happened to this tiger? And there are just these little hints that something happened in the past, but we aren't sure what. And the hint he appears to be aware at some... There, there's that line about the, the raccoon who operates the elevator saying, you know, I, I could do this job if I had an address. So it seems like he's very aware there's a very thin line uh, kind of separating him from what he could be or a, or a normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just on the wrong side, but it's a very hard line to cross, and I think that's a well stated. I think it's a well done um, depiction on White Yodi's part because it is. You know, there is such a social stigma um, attached to being homeless. Yeah, uh, I think one of the my favorite services that is offered sometimes is uh, like free cell phones, mm-hmm. just because. Uh, if somebody is underprivileged or, or homeless, uh, just the, being able to give somebody a phone number to call yeah. uh, on an application is the difference between mm-hmm. being able to get a job or not. But uh, what, what maybe I feel it to kind of pick it up a little. Uh, what did you think of the sex scene? Well, oh, what I generally like about domination submission stories, which I do tend to write a lot personally, mm-hmm. uh, is that. It's kind of, um, it, it puts things in a binary. Mm-hmm. And binaries make things easy to understand because it's, you know, good versus evil, uh, up versus down, whatever. Just these things that are, uh, if you, you want to you know, date it back to the development of human history, you have like the uh, development of religions where 
God is suddenly uh, opposed by this devil figure that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. So now that there's being this one primary force, there's these two primary forces that pull in opposite directions. They create these, and we know now we're starting to get a little bit more complex than that. So there's it's more like networks, and there are different points and vertices along this, not just you know, a binary. But the binary has been around long enough to you know be able to understand. Well, well. Western Western culture is very about binaries. Yeah. Yes. But the the strange thing is, um, this isn't like your typical domination submission story where, like I said, I, I love the imagery. Usually, mm-hmm. however, this is kind of different imagery because usually it's much more visceral and it's much more um, following the actions mm-hmm. while this takes place much more in, in the head in the of the head. character mm-hmm. so it's not like oh I did this to him he did this to me we did this mm-hmm. to that and we turned this way it follows uh, motives and responses and feelings mm-hmm. and there is only kind of like a, a vague touching upon at times of what the physical acts are which a lot of people are, are, are kind of confused or frustrated by it because they're reading for like the 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 the, the bodily signals mm-hmm. essentially, but uh, for other people like the the more intellectual aspects of it are benefited by being able to put them within this construct that is very easy to break apart and understand these binaries. So domination submission. I mean, people ask like, people always want to wonder now when a person is reading or, or writing a domination submission story which which part of the binary are they on the side of right which yep. do they empathize yep. with and like i think yep. that's kind of um a simplistic way of interpreting it because i, I tend to feel that these binaries actually re- represent you know different aspects of the same thing mm-hmm. so I, you you wouldn't say like what does 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 the author or does the reader want to identify with the wolf who has all the power in this relationship who is uh almost um a villain, if you want to interpret it in a more cynical light, which some people would probably enjoy doing even, uh, or if you want to identify more with the tiger who is absolutely powerless, it's not quite like that. You probably see even within yourself aspects of both characters, and you can explore them both at the same time within this uh, singular concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what works very well with these uh, with, with domination submission stories. That's what I like about it. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, it helps with the, the images being contrasted between, like, clean and dirty. Because uh, it's very easy to see a transition when a character goes from being described in these very grungy terms to being described in uh, very clean and crisp terms. It's just mm-hmm. a different, it's just a change in language. It's a break in the, in the pace. Mm-hmm. It helps uh, quickly lighten up the concepts that you want to cover. Mm-hmm. Which you kind of, you, you need to do sometimes when you're writing pulp, because you're not going to usually extend it, or at least I don't, you don't usually extend it as uh, far as you might a serious work. People don't have that long retention span right, right. or that much stamina. Yeah, I mean, I thought, besides being, I thought it was, you know, as you said, it's very um, kind of introspective, but I thought it was very well written. Mm-hmm. And the sex scene was definitely hot. <laughs> um, one of the phrases that I thought was interesting, because you never see it, uh, stated as such. At least I don't know if I've ever seen it in furry pulp. Was the line the tie that would surely injure him? There was this, you know, the the wolf is is fucking him and holds back yes. from tying with the tiger because the tie would injure him. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen that in a furry story where they're dealing with anatomically correct canines because usually and, and maybe we can draw another connection here usually the tie is 
like the you know what people ask for you know i think yeah. it, it implies this intimacy because you are you know literally tied together for the next 20 to 40 minutes disgusting um <laughs> <laughs> wow no, like, somebody I has intimacy problems yeah, okay no, like, i want to go play video games all right well any but most other people uh <laughs> not tunes awful um I mean, really, I'm gonna go make a sandwich. Thank you. But, but I mean, you'll agree that traditionally, in most furry, yeah, well, no, that's, that that's read, how it's interpreted. Yeah, the that's... knot is this intimate thing. You don't see, um, you know, something like natural unless purposely in the story and... there is an intent to cause injury. In some stories, there are, but when there isn't, the story isn't about that per se. You don't see this issue discussed, and you don't see it brought up that way. That you know, to have kind of, I suppose, the ultimate sex with this wolf would injure him. And from the perspective of someone who really isn't into the anatomically correct stuff, but interpreting it, (laughs) like, from a writing standpoint, it's interesting in that, uh, it's... What's the the famous quote, if you you bring a gun on stage, eventually you want to fire it? Yeah. From a writing standpoint, it's interesting that this last card isn't played, so to speak, because oftentimes, you know, when when you're going into a store, you have these, uh, the tools that you can kind of work with, like, the, the aspects oh, of the character. Oh, we'll never get it in, and yeah, then like, they do. Because yeah. that's, what, no, <laughs> that's what everyone won. won, because it's explicit, right. and they want it, because it's And I think be hot, that's, but. that's, I mean, I really feel that this is, you know, a metaphor of, again, they can't It tones do it. it down they a level. They can't, you know, they, they always have to hold back in some way. Makes it just and a little even bit less in the sweaty. bedroom, they have to hold back. Well, just in, in practical way. terms, it makes it just a little bit less smutty. Yeah. Which I like. I mean, not everything okay. has to be smut. All right. <laughs> Just a degree less. Um, so, I mean, all in all, I, I think it was... I mean, like I said, I really enjoyed the story. I thought it brought up a lot of interesting points. I'm... You know, I, I really feel for our tiger protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, You're certainly asked to, to, to pity the hell out of And it's interesting because I, I, I want to sympathize with him in that he clearly will, loves the wolf. Isn't that kind and of so I want to think oh. better of the wolf because the tiger loves him. Oddly enough, I mean, this is how I find myself feeling. I don't think very well of the wolf because he is not willing. You know, he is in the position where he can do something, and he's not willing to do anything of consequence. But, like I don't want to pity him. I want him to have power and control. That's what yeah. I want. Well, so yeah, I'm just frustrated the whole so. time. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting response to get to a story, just like to be so mm-hmm. like angry at the character that you want mm-hmm. to feel so so you know, that you're being asked so so yeah. pleasantly to pity, and you really should. But oh my goodness, but it I just think that, frustrates that's, me. You know, that's it's a well written story. Then it reminds that me people feel so strongly about what's happening to the characters in the story. My response reminds me to uh, a lot of the people's responses to Holden Caulfield and mm-hmm. Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of people say, oh yeah, it's a great story, but that kid's just fucking irritating. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, great, he's irritating, but I mean, isn't that alright? But oh, Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting. Um, so I hope it gave a lot of uh, people stuff to think about. So, and, and, and good stories. So, thank you, White Yodi, uh, for reading it. Uh, thank you, too, to Andrew Rabbit of yeah. Rabbit Valley for reading it for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did a fantastic job. Yeah. And, and if anyone out there is interested... Thank you, our in... first guest reader. You know. 
Yeah. Anyone else out there interested, just shoot us a line. I'm tunes at drivingcat.org. Yeah, and I, I still have gotten surprised responses from people like, oh, I didn't know you wanted readers, or oh, I didn't know you were asking for stories. And it's like, we've only done this every week, guys. So yes, if you have a story you want read, mm-hmm. send it to us. I'm liking uh, a lot of the responses. If you w- are interested in being a guest reader, Send us a note, you know, baddogbooks.com slash book club. It's that easy. Yep. Uh, next week, we have a story uh, read to us by Alex Vance, again, and it is by Candrel, who is a fox who's from the U.S. but lives in England with his mate now, and this story is On the Bright Beach, and this one's pretty porny. It's more of a pick-me-up, too, right? Yeah, oh yeah. It's it's definitely it's a happy ending. So this yes. Is, yes, we, we we had a couple downers in a row. So this story's gonna be that ice cream Sunday you so deserve after a hard This week. is a happy ending. It's got lots of sex in it and it's got gay sex and straight sex. So yeah, we don't wanna get we don't wanna get too gay either here. I mean we are That's the but standard you're applying. We wanna uh, we wanna, you know, make sure that we read, you know, straight and buy porn stories as well. So yes, we we this will satisfy several things that have been missing in our podcast life. Uh, so stay tuned for that one. It's it's a good one. Is there anything else you want to add this week? No, I think I'm good. Nice. Right. Thanks for coming in everybody. Really yep. appreciate You've it. You've listened this has been episode uh, 4B of the Bad Dog Book Club. It was uh, White Yodi's one week read by Andrew Rabbit. I'm Skip Ruttertail. I'm Tunes, and uh, check out my website, too, drivingcat.org. I want to give a shout-out to Bob Skunk, because he redesigned my website. It was very nice of me. It looks wonderful. Awesome. Check it out, drivingcat.org, if you're 18 or older, because it is awesome. porn yes. And, uh, and our editor is Alex Vance. So check us out at www.baddogbooks.com slash book club, and we will see you next week. Ciao, everybody.